I'm Joanna Strumpf. And I'm Ursula Sullivan. This week we're going to be hearing from not one, but two of our artists, Natalia Hughes, who will be speaking with Grant Stevens about his new exhibition, The Forest, which launches online on the 25th of June. We're really excited about this show, and I hope you guys enjoy Natalia and Grant's discussion. So it seems to me that the computer almost is like an agent in this work and I was hoping you could just talk through the way that it's made. So this work is totally digitally made. There's no photographic elements, there's no physical elements and it's made with uh, computer software that's used mostly for gaming, like to create 3D interactive video games. And I guess in the last few years, the graphics obviously are getting better and better and getting more kind of photorealistic in some ways. But of course, it has a completely digital, quite synthetic visual appearance to it. I don't know if I told you, but I taught art design to game design students once. And so I've seen the software, but many years ago, and it was so it's, it's a matter of building up assets. So like a tree is an asset and flowers are an asset. Yeah, correct. In making this work, it, it starts with 3D terrain developing a kind of 3D grid on which the assets are kind of placed in an algorithmic way. So an asset might be a pine tree, or in this case, there's, let's say there's about 10 different pine trees and about 10 different conifers and about 20 different kinds of flowers and so on and so on. And then you can kind of paint those into the landscape or paint them into the terrain and they're placed algorithmically, so they're not you're not placing every single tree by hand. So it's sort of like randomizing it as you're generating it so that it doesn't look like a computer has made it. Yes, but I think it still kind of looks like a computer has made it. <laughs> I mean, it does, but then it's also kind of believable as a forest. Yeah, and so in the studio, I've got two screens. So I've often got Google image searches or image banks, image searches of scenery, postcard kind of scenery, desktop background kind of scenery that I'm trying to reference or trying to replicate in some way. And sometimes I've got specific places in mind that I've been, you know, so in making this work, there was some places in Yosemite or in California that I was thinking about. And partly that's because a lot of the assets, I should say, have this North American perspective. You know, so the trees look like they're from North American forests. They're not Australian forests. Is that like a weird version of cultural imperialism or is it that the game designers are American? I think it's a combination of things. So partly, yeah, the assets sometimes are being created in America, but not always, right? So there might be other other people in the world creating these assets, but creating them already with this kind of visual style in place. Yeah, you could call it cultural imperialism, this kind of desire for to kind of replicate the imagery of American popular culture. So you create this environment in game software, but then in addition to that, the way that we navigate this forest is not like you would navigate it in a game. There is a camera and the camera, which is a non-human agent, is roaming the forest. So the camera is algorithmic. Yeah, so it has artificial intelligence in a way. The camera is kind of moving through the landscape, panning and tilting as well. And it's doing that according to algorithms, like it's doing that according to a range of settings in the software that I can control and manipulate. But once you start the artwork, so it's an application, it's not a video file, it's like 
you start the application, you start up the program, and then the camera will move through the landscape in a different way every time. And it will, it's set up so it can run endlessly. So it could endlessly roam through this forest environment. The duration of the work is endless, but how vast is the landscape? So the landscape has boundaries and the camera has limitations on where it can go. There's a waterfall, there are boulders, there's different kinds of forests, there's a meadow. So there's all these different features where the camera can roam, but it's not necessarily choosing to go to the waterfall or to the meadow. It's roaming without that kind of intentionality. Which is what's very strange about watching it. There is this other thing at play that is both your point of access to the forest, but it's also your push out of it. So when you described it to me, I was thinking in terms of an artificial landscape, but it possibly yielding this contemplative, meditative experience because the landscape itself is static, completely static, one moment in time. And that makes you think about our investment in presence and being able to stay in the moment and that's association with wellness or whatever. But in watching it, (laughs) I found that it was very uneasy very quickly because of a certain amount of control being surrendered. Yeah, so the artificially intelligent camera is choosing what you get to see. There are no controls. There's no interactivity to it. But it's also not a view that's being chosen by a cinematographer who might be thinking about framing in a certain way or trying to direct attention in a certain way. What you see is being directed by this artificially intelligent camera. And so you get, there are moments where it looks like the, the shot has been framed or, you know, you get these kind of vistas where it looks like a postcard or something. But there are other times where it seems to be looking at the grass or looking at the side of the rock, which is not particularly interesting. But there's a perpetual motion in there. Sometimes it kind of lingers in a place for quite a while, which is weird and creepy. So I think about the experience of watching this and how different it is to the experience of an actual forest, but you yourself enjoy being in the forest and you enjoy walks and you enjoy being in nature and you understand what it is to kind of have that moment outside of, you know, the distraction of every day. Is part of the impetus of the work to provide some outside of the everyday experience of landscape. So one kind of thing driving me to make this work is thinking about the role that digital technologies play in our daily lives, right? Uh, You're busy, I'm busy, everybody's busy. There's a sense that digital technologies are taking us away from the things that we really want to do, you know, spend time with our family or slow roast something or tend to the garden and so on and so on. So there's this sense that digital technologies are becoming more integrated into our daily lives, but they're taking us away from the things that we really want to do. But at the same time, we have digital technologies that are part of the solution. You know, so mindfulness apps um, or meditation apps, which use a kind of similar visual language to what I'm trying to work with. So that's one part of it. But also it might be that digital technology also enable different kinds of communication. So we can video conference with our families in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. And so it's partly that tension about what the integration of digital technologies in our daily lives is doing. And of course, it's not binary. It's not either. That's partly what's driving my interest in contemplation or in meditation is a kind of antidote or an alternative to this great speed up of daily life. 
the other part of what I wanted to say and answer the question is like I do a lot of kind of multi-day hiking and camping and so on and so on. But of course, those experiences are also kind of preempted by imagery or preempted by photography or by blog posts. And then of course, when you do it, you're having these great experiences, which are already kind of preempted or pre-mediated by those representations. It's not that you're suggesting that there is no experience beyond the experience of images or language. It's not like you're insincere or disengaged from the world and telling us that all we have is representations and so we might as well just, you know, lean into that. It's more that that we have these very complex relationships to the world that are mediated by technology and mediated by language and mediated by images, right? That's like at the heart of all of your work, even when there's no image present, even when it's just about words. I guess in my early work, they almost always revolved around text and the use of language. Language enables communication, but it also inhibits us. Like we struggle to find the right words or we struggle to um, find words that sound sincere or authentic. The only way to say I love you is to use those words. But of course, they are cliches. We need to make sense of the world, but they're also kind of not enough. They're um, not satisfying. I can't stop thinking about the Buddha sitting at the bottom of the Bodhi tree, (laughs) the ficus, for 49 days. And like to sit in front of this work for 49 days, what kind of person would emerge? (laughs) Would it be enlightenment or would it just be like deep psychosis? And there's only one way to find out, Grant. Yep, give it a go. You've been listening to Natalia Hughes speaking with Grant Stevens on the eve of his exhibition, The Forest, at Sullivan and Strumpf. What a great discussion. It was wonderful to hear them. I know. If you want to see his show online, you can go to our website at sullivanstrumpf.com and you should also probably subscribe as well. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.